the moment I walked off the platform last week and finished the sermon, I knew in my heart, as the children are going, I knew in my heart the children are going. See ya. I knew that when we talk about sin as the curvature within coming in on us, that there's more to the story. And I know we just couldn't leave it there. And so uh, I'd like us to talk about some of the rest of the story today when we come to the bench. But let me kind of get there by talking about a story. She called and she asked me one question. She asked me, what was the one thing that made a difference? What is the one thing that's made a difference? The phone call was from one of my siblings, and she was going through a difficult time in a relationship, and her question was very specific. She said, I want to know the one thing that made a di- has made a difference in your marriage to Kathleen. And I said, you really want to know that? And she said, yes, I do. I said, well, that's easy, Jesus. And then she said this, I'll never forget. She said, oh, that's your opinion. (laughs) Well, you asked me the one thing. So I'm just answering factually what the one thing that has made a difference, and it is Jesus Christ. So I guess today, as we come to the bench, the first place I have to stand is in the place of gratitude. Because I need to say, I need to come in confession that nothing has changed me. Nothing has altered my life, my choices, my attitude, my relationships. And I have to to come with that autobiographical testimony because there's no other way for me to say it. Nothing has altered my life more than the good news of Jesus Christ. So so let's remember those last best words from the bench last week, which were these. That as we come to Jesus, as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Amen? Right? It's a good one. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. And that's a really important thing to remember when we come to the bench today. Because when we think about sin, or we see it in action in our world, or we see it in our own lives, this idea of the inward curve, and I appreciate the way Pastor Leo helped us kind of think about that again and hand that to you in our prayer. It's really easy, and perhaps it's excuse-making, to just throw up our hands and say, well, 
You know, that's just the kind of world we live in. Or, I've heard this too, and I've been wanting to say this at times, well, you know, that's just who I am. We kind of throw up our hands. Say, well, you know, that's just who I am. As I thought about that, I thought about a question, and the question is this. Well, if we're going to say that, then we need to ask this question. What kind of gospel do you believe in? What is the gospel that you believe in? We all talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the gospel that you and I believe in? What is it that you believe in? Russell Moore made a statement this past summer during a podcast that stuck with me. And he said this, we have ended up with a depravity gospel that says we shouldn't expect anything more than this. And that leads to a cynicism that's dangerous. A, a depravity gospel. A gospel that says well, says, well, you know, you can't expect more because, hey, we live in a sinful world. Or we can't expect more because, you know what, I sin in word, thought, and deed every single day, so, you know, you can't expect more from me. That kind of thinking. But here's the thing. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's more to the story than just the inward curve towards selfishness and self-reference that Augustine, also known as Augustine, what he said about sin. So today, we welcome a new person to the bench today. He, he was a man who had phenomenal religious passion. He put us to shame with his religious passion. He also had a phenomenally logical mind and he was able to just think through deep theological truths. He also had a, a burning nationalistic spirit that felt like he had to save his country from the rest of the world. And that was the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus. Because you see, while thinking he was doing the right thing, he chased down and imprisoned innocent people. He sanctioned the murder of an innocent man. And he did all this in the name of God and in the name of what would be considered the church of his day. And his religion really was rather curved inward on himself. But then, but then he encountered Jesus. You can read about that in the book of Acts. When you read about this Damascus Road experience in Acts 9. and He's transformed. And that's putting it mildly. He, he was radically changed. And this is what he said. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. His way of saying, to everybody. It is the power of God that leads to salvation, and the word gospel literally means good news. Good news. 
It's also where we get our word evangelism from. But it's good news. Here's the deal. We have to face the reality of sin. But not, we're not to do that to become morosely fixated on how bad we are or how wrong we are or how irreparable we are. We're not to embrace some sort of self-loathing we clothe in some false humility. That too is disordered desire, which we talked about last week. But rather, we're to stare into the truth, as I said last week, with, with the optimism of grace. What Paul is saying is he's saying that that is the dynamite of God. The word power that he uses is the root word for our word for dynamite. And so God, God wants to blow up our sin. Isn't that a great word picture? You know, don't think about like Wiley e. Coyote and the dynamite in a cartoon. Now I'm really dating myself. So those of you who don't know who Wiley e. Coyote is, go Google Wiley e. Coyote and you'll find some place in time where he takes a little piece of dynamite to blow the world up. You know, I'm not... But God wants to blow up the power of sin in our life. And he wants to do a new thing. Because you see, the gospel is still the power of God for salvation. And this is what it does. This is what salvation really does. Not just praying some transactional prayer, but this is what it does. The power of God reorders the soul away from disordered desires to desire after God. So let's talk about that today. How does the power of God work? Well, as we come to the bench with Jesus, Jesus begins to help us understand how the power of God works. Does God just kind of, we just pray a prayer and God zaps us, whack. And all of a sudden we're, we're different people and we're better and, you know, in a moment's time we're suddenly more loving and more kind and is that what God does? Well, on the bench today, Jesus tells us how to discover this gospel power. This is what we read in Mark chapter 1. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news that Paul used for gospel. Jesus went proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, there's another word in there. It's same, similar to the word sin that has found some social ostracization, and that's the word repent. We think of someone who's on a street corner with a sign saying, the world is coming to an end. It's time to repent. But I've been thinking a lot about this truth of this incurvatus in C, this inward curve, Curving in on oneself, it's caused me to refine, rethink my understanding of repentance. You see, repentance, this word that we're hearing, literally means turning. And what I've come to believe is that what it means is 
turning myself in such a way that I open myself to the power of God. I'm preparing myself for the power of God. That's how it's used in the context of Jesus and his coming. That's how it's used in the context of John the Baptist. And when Paul talks about the power of God, my question is, is that's great. How do we get the power of God? Do I believe that God can just like meet us with such power and alter us and change us? I absolutely do believe that. That's part of my testimony too. But repentance prepares me for the power of God to reverse the curve inward and to reverse the curse of sin in my life. So this means that repentance isn't something to be afraid of, not something that's supposed to be harsh, but rather something that is to be embraced because in it there is freedom. Freedom in the soul. Let's start here. Let's talk about repentance, what repentance is not. I think if we were sitting with Jesus on the bench and we talked about his words, you know, one of the things I think Jesus would want us to know that what repentance is not is a grit your teeth effort at behavioral modification. I can do it. I can get it done. It's not that. It's not the power of positive thinking. If I just think it, I'll be it. Not that either. Is it important for us to do things when it comes to repentance? Yes, you'll see that. Is it important for us to change the way we think? Yes, Romans 12 tells us that it's renewing of our mind that transforms us. Yes, that's true. But the truth is, the power of God and repentance does not even begin with us. There's a different trajectory. Get this. It doesn't even begin with our sin problem. It moves in a different direction. It begins first with the upward turn. Now, I'm only going to tarry in this section shortly because I'll come back to it towards the end. But this is the first move. And this is the genesis of any actual experience of transformation that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what Paul said? It is the power of God. It is the power of God. What a statement. It is the dynamite of God. This gospel. I, I made this statement last week. The heart is the place where we hold what we love. And what we love is the place that feeds desire. There is no secret ingredient here. There is no silver bullet. There is no instant fix. We must turn to God. Make room in your heart. Make room in your heart. For God to write his story in us. So confessing the reality of our hearts, if we confess our sins, he, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
We must fully and constantly love and trust Jesus, and we must seek to love what he loves. We must desire Jesus more than anything else. I've had many a conversation with people who are struggling with a besetting sin, and the biggest mistake we make is we focus on the sin. How to fix the sin. And yes, there's places where we have to make choices that are different, but the beginning place is the upward turn. It's to turn towards God. It is the power of God. It is only God who can save us from ourselves. Only God. It is only God who can save, but it's not only God who can save. Here's the good news. It is the God who wants to save. It is God who wants to bring salvation. It is God who wants to bring transformation. It is God who wants to do a new work, a new thing in our lives. God does change us. But it starts with a genuine, true turning upward toward God. And that's a radical act of trust. Trusting who He is even though I know who I am. And sometimes that's hard. Amen? We'll come back to that. But then secondly, there's an outward turn. Now, probably the most famous person to talk about repentance in the Bible is, who do you think that is? Anybody? John the Baptist. Right? Yes, there are people who are congratulating themselves that they got the answer. Isn't that good? Good. If you didn't get the answer, don't, don't look at those people. All right. Well, John the Baptist makes a very interesting statement. He says that we need to bear fruit for repentance. And then he goes on to share what that fruit is. He says, you need to share your possessions and your food with those who don't have it. He goes further and he says this, you need to act fair in business. And then John the Baptist says, you need to live with integrity with your money and with others. Up until that point, he was doing pretty well. Then he started meddling, right? When... And he said this, and don't misrepresent people if you want to find that, it's in Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. But here's what you need to know. That's not a work salvation. That's not about being good enough to be saved. But rather, next to the worship of God, next to the upward turn, nothing gives God more room to reverse the curve inward than when we turn outward to others. When we turn outward to others, the Holy Spirit has room for the power of God to help reverse the curve in our lives. I'd also suggest this. This may mean that we need to make things right with other people. This may mean that we need to really think about things like confession 
Do you know, there's that great passage in the book of James. We looked at James last week, James chapter 1, but if you kind of go down the way to James chapter 5, it's awesome. It talks about healing. And every once in a while, we invite people to come and kneel and we anoint people with oil. But this is what James says. James says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. I think when I read that, I think, you know, the real healing isn't really physical. James is talking about doing something deeper, even as we pray for physical healing. But I wonder, I wonder if we don't see more acts of healing because we have forsaken acts of confession. I'm wondering that. I don't have a definitive answer to that. But then, but then maybe it also means like restitution, making things right with people. Do you remember that wee little man, that wee little man in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, his name was Zacchaeus, right? G- he, he encounters Jesus. It's a really amazing story. He's a little guy. I have no idea how tall he was, but all we know is he was short. And he's up in a tree and he sees Jesus and Jesus says, come on down here, Zacchaeus. I want to go to your place today and have tacos. Well, it doesn't say that, but. And Zacchaeus comes down, and he encounters Jesus. And the first thing Zacchaeus does, the first thing Zacchaeus does, which is rather amazing, he makes things right with people. He pays them back where he's overcharged them. And then he makes a commitment to refuse to overcharge them going forward in the future. And this is what Jesus says to him. After he does that, after he says he'll do that, Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. Because Zacchaeus had the outward turn that made room in his heart for God to write his story. You see, we have taken ideas like repentance and we've only made that about our own personal spiritual lives. But Jesus had bigger ideas than that. Jesus was interested in the power of God working in us and through us. Could it be that part of the reason that sometimes we struggle with having power to live in this world is that we don't first really make a upward and continual turn to God and we're hesitant to make the outward turn to others. We just think maybe sometimes that we just need to take care of what's inside ourselves and that's good enough. But this outward turn is a means of grace in confronting that inward curve. It's actually a means of grace. When we when we John Wesley called them acts of mercy. Acts of, there's acts of piety and acts of mercy. Means of grace. That when we turn outward, God can do stuff in our lives. How, how often has it been that when you've been serving someone sacrificially, you begin to sense like the pleasure of God in your life, in your heart? And that's God working. This outward turn is a means of grace. Why? Because it turns from a self-referential life 
and focus to a life of self-donation. Later on, this is how Paul puts it in Ephesians. He said it this way, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We're going to lean into that a little bit next week when we come back to the bench and we ask the question, so who's sitting on your bench? But the power of God, the power of God works in this outward turn. But then, of course, we have the outward turn, we have the upward turn, the outward turn, and yes, there is an inward turn. Absolutely. We do need to turn toward our own hearts, but as we do, the intention of that is not to turn inward with self-loathing or to turn inward with some kind of self-improvement plan. But we turn inward with the optimism of grace from God to open up our hearts to the transforming truth and love of God. Here's something to remember about God's power. Look what Sarah Henrich says. Go ahead, put that quote up there. God's power can bring life out of nothing. Say that with me. God's power can bring life out of nothing and has raised Jesus from death to gather and empower us all for a new life in right relationship with the one who loves us. Wow. I don't know about you, but I need to remember those words that God's power can bring life out of nothing and has raised Jesus from the dead. Do we remember that we're the people of the resurrection? We believe and we can stand with historical evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We believe that. We stand on that. You see, grace, God's grace, is not only God's disposition and desire to forgive us. It is that. Praise God. His grace is God's disposition towards us and his desire to heal us in forgiveness, forgiving our sins. But God's grace is also God's commitment to us to empower us to live for Jesus. And that's that optimism of grace. Yes, optimism about pardon, optimism about forgiveness, optimism about guilt being taken away, but optimism about genuine transformation, optimism about new life, new creation, optimism of being different people, new people. We reach back way into the one psalm that portrays the beauty of being human, and we see that about this inward turn. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. I love that New Living Translation. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You see, that's the reason for turning toward ourselves, to look at ourselves. Why? Because of these words. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So much more than just 
some kind of mental assent of God. So much more than a prayer that just tries to have a transaction that gets us ready for eternity. New creation, new life, new thinking. He says he'll make all things new, and this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. It's God's way of restoring a rebellious world. This is God's plan. I have news for you. God doesn't have some great big plan to send some great, powerful, angelic army army to fix the world and restore creation. Where his plan? He's making all things new and he wants to bring us along with him right now in doing so. This is God's plan for reordering the soul. It's the power of God to save us from ourselves. I wonder what you would answer if someone came up to you and said, what is salvation? We hear that word. And you hear that word used in secular terms too. What is salvation? Well, I think the way Dr. Ken Collins says it gets it right. Next quote. God's grace works in us to rectify our love, stabilize our affections, and empower us with new desires that come from God. I love that. It rectifies our love. It stabilizes our affections. It empowers us with new desires. And there is a word for this. It's called salvation. The forgiveness of sins. The assurance of eternal life. And best of all, the new creation of living with God right now. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Where does this come from? I mentioned Tim Keller last week. I mentioned, as many of you know, he, he recently passed away. What a great loss for us. I would, do, I would do whatever you can to check out videos from Tim Keller. Google Tim Keller and the love of God and you'll be blessed all day long. Well, last week, Kathleen sent me a video of something Dr. Keller shared. He referenced these words from Deuteronomy chapter 7. These are kind of interesting. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. It was not because you were greater than all other people that the Lord loved you and chose you. In fact, you were the smallest of peoples. No, it is because the Lord loved you. Keller in the video goes on to quote Dr. Edward Clowney, and Clowney said this, Do you realize what God is saying? Let me tell you the reason I love you. I love you just because I love you. I don't love you because you are better or because you have done this or done that. I just love you because I love you. And then Clowney says, you see, that's grace. Do you see what this is? Last week we ended and we said, the answer to this inward turn is love. This, my friends, this 
is the power of God. This is the power of God. How so? 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the power of God. Don't let the familiarity of these words blemish the wonder and the awe and the beauty and the relief of them. God God is always the first turn in repentance. He is always the first turn, always the first move, because God is the first one to love. You don't, need a, you don't even have to turn to God. He's already turned with love. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to determine you have to do this religious thing or you need to do this. Now, now I'm not going to say you shouldn't read your Bible, but I'll say this. You don't have to read the Bible in a year to please God, to get his love. It's the power of God, the raw power of God, that no person, no political platform, no amount of money, no amount of material things, no amount of religious performance, none of that. I love you, he says, just because I love you. And there's power in that. In 1 Corinthians 1.18 it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The greatest demonstration of the love of God appears foolish. It was the most foolish looking thing when it happened. And there are those who think it's foolish today. But it is in God pouring out his love for us that he made a way for us to encounter the power of God by us turning toward him. By us, by us turning in this outward fashion. Opening our hearts. And by us turning inward and recognizing God loves us just because he loves us. So my question is, what kind of gospel do you believe in? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It is the power of God. I invite you to stand with me this morning. As we turn towards the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to ask pastors if you'd come please this morning. I'm going to invite you to join me in praying this prayer 
from J.D. Walt's wake-up call as we prepare our hearts for communion. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I receive your righteousness and release my sinfulness. I receive your wholeness and release my brokenness. I receive your fullness and release my emptiness. I receive your peace and release my anxiety. I receive your joy and release my despair. I receive your healing and release my sickness. I receive your love and release my selfishness. I receive the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings and release my fearful self-protection. Come, Holy Spirit, transform my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that my consecration becomes your demonstration, that our lives become your sanctuary for the glory of God our Father. Amen. This is the power of God for salvation. And as we come to the table today, where is it that you need to turn up towards him? Where is it? Where do you need to make room for God? I have full confidence that the Holy Spirit is present among us, actually. And he's tapping on our hearts. Where is it? Where is it that you need to turn outward? Where is it that you need to ask God, point out in me anything that offends you? Here's the power of God. He just says, well, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. So as we come to the table today, I invite you to come as an act of faith in Jesus Christ, the power of God. And whatever it is you need to bring to him, I invite you to come with a heart of confession. Come, the pastors will give you the elements. We have some gluten-free communion on the altar to my left. But come, receive the elements, return to your seat, and then as God's family, we'll participate together. But I invite you now to come to the table of the Lord and come in faith. Lord, we thank you for your power. And we thank you, Lord God, that at the heartbeat of your power is your love. We thank you for what you've done for us today in each and every one of our lives. Speak to us, Lord, even as we go from this place of where we're to turn toward you, where we're to turn toward others, and how we're to look within in order that we would live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.